Welcome to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we help online coaches learn how to elevate their brand, become the experts in their industries, so they can bring in more clients and create a life they want. I am your host, Chris Anderson. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review. And together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. Today we have Scott who's coming on the show and, and Scott is, you know, he's a lot of things. He's done a lot of good, but you know, one cool thing is he's a Christian entrepreneur. He's also the CEO of Eight Figure Focus where they help coaches and consultants hit that seven figure or eight figure uh, mark in revenue. And they've helped over 20,000 people. Uh, and besides that work that he does with individuals, he is also the go-to advisor for organizations like T-Mobile, American Express, and Harvard University on revenue growth. So Scott Ritzheimer, I hope I Nailed said it. that right. Awesome. Welcome to Elevate Your Brand today, man. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. This will be a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to it and uh, super excited just to learn from you myself, but uh, everyone else should be excited as well. I guess to start, just high level, you know, what got you into doing, you know, scale architects and everything you're doing with consulting and helping business owners? For those of uh, who are watching, I look like I'm about 22 years old. So there's like this cognitive dissonance that hits when I say my next mm. sentence. But uh, I've had the opportunity to help start and scale about 20,000 organizations. Uh, been there at the beginning stages for an enormous number of businesses, nonprofits, churches, ministries, the whole gamut, for-profit world, nonprofit world. And uh, and so judging by that, I should be about a thousand years old, but we compressed that into a very, very short period of time with an amazing team that helped me do it. And uh, it was just a tremendous experience. And in the context of growing our own organization, our own business that helped start all of these other businesses, uh, I came face to face with the reality that this same pattern is playing out again and again. Now, I wasn't smart enough to identify what the pattern was. I just knew it was there. And uh, so fast forward, uh, you know, a number of years, uh, my my company stuck, right? We're, we're, we're helping lots of people. We're doing great work um, and, you know, proud of what we're doing. But, you know, and technically we're even growing, you know, more people, more revenue. But our profit line shrinking every single year and we can't figure out how to fix it. I mean, we're throwing everything at it, reading everything we can read. Uh, hiring consultants to come in, doing the whole nine yards and uh, come to find out we're stuck in this stage called whitewater. And for us, it felt like we were doing everything wrong, even though we used to be doing everything right. Like what's going on? We're the only ones who have this problem. That was the, that was the lie, right? <laughs> we're the only ones that have this problem. And, uh, and come to find out it's just a natural part of a life cycle, which come to find out there is such a thing as a life cycle. And what I found in that experience, very painful experience over probably five years, but I discovered a model called the predictable success model that was written by a gentleman who's now uh, my colleague and a dear friend, uh, Les McEwen. And he actually saw the same pattern and he started naming the different stages that folks go through. Mm -hmm. And when you, you start to hear about it, and hopefully you have a moment to share it briefly, I mean, I can yeah. talk about this for days, so rein me in. But, uh, <laughs> but when you start to identify that there are these different stages that we all go through, it starts to explain what is like the insanity of growing a business, right? Because there's so many things about business that one day feel like they make sense, and the very next day, it's like, I, I don't know anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and so. Right. 
we're in one of those stages, those I don't know anything stages, even though we're a highly successful, nearly $10 million business and couldn't figure out what was going wrong. But fortunately, Les had figured it out and also had the key to unlocking each of the next stages. Hmm. And what I discovered through that process is that for each stage, for us in particular, it was stage three, but the same thing in the early stages for a lot of folks who are listening. It's not about doing the right thing, although that's a huge piece of the puzzle. It's about doing the right things in the right order. Yeah. And we had done a lot of the right stuff. That's why we were successful. But we didn't realize how the game around us was changing. And so we started trying to do things in the wrong order and it wasn't working. Gotcha. So so these these life cycles, there's a particular order that you need to follow or that you're in to get to that success level. Am I falling right on that? That's exactly right. So let's walk okay. through them yeah. very, very quickly, right? For sure. So every business, every nonprofit, every consulting company, every you know, B2B, B2C, uh, your local soccer club, any group <laughs> of two or more, right? I did a podcast on uh, these uh, stages for a marriage, right? Any <laughs> single group of two or more goes through these seven stages over okay. time. So the very first stage is early struggle. In the mm. business world, we're trying to get the thing off the ground. It's the rocket sitting on the launch pad. Engines are firing and it's just shaking, right? Yeah. Like there's smoke yeah. and flames and noise and, and it's just kind of shaking on the, the, uh, the launch pad. It's not moved yet. Uh, that's early struggle. You know, right. for you know, the folks who are there, I, I, I assume a lot of them are still in this stage because, you know, they're looking for resources like yours to help out. And, mm. and when you're in early struggle, you know, you've got the entrepreneur's smile. You've seen this, right? Oh, How, yeah. How's the business going? And you kind of like, it's great, you know, and then you close the door behind you and you go find a sharp corner and you just start banging <laughs> your head on it. That, that, that's, oh, that's pretty yeah. much what it's like. And I mean, we've glorified entrepreneurism, but the reality of it is being a startup is being in early struggle. And so one of the things we say that's not very popular, but very true is the best startup strategy is to stop being one. Right. <laughs> and you do that by having a ruthless focus on sales and marketing, which is why I love the work that you're doing. Uh, we're going to hopefully talk about this a little bit later, but you don't do it by doing a lot of other things. Right. There's all kinds of should do's in the early, it, that stuff, there's a time for that. We'll talk about that later. What you really have to do is get really good. What, the language we use is finding a profitable, sustainable market. Mm. You got to find people who are willing to pay enough for what you do for you to have money left over. Very simple, stunningly simple. <laughs> very difficult to do, right? Yeah. And a huge part of why it's difficult to do is because we lose our uh, our focus, right? Mm -hmm. We take our eye off of that one prize. We try and create the best product in the world. We try and create even the best marketing in the world. We We try and do a lot of things that are not a direct line to selling. And when we do, we dramatically increase the chances that we'll fail. Mm. But if we do keep the focus, we find the profitable, sustainable market before cash runs out, right? It's a race <laughs> right. against time. It really is. Right. It's just like the rocket on the launch pad and it starts lifting off, you know, and, and it's slow at first. Doesn't really feel like it. It's not like this hard line of all of a sudden, you know, everything's better. But what happens is, is that thing starts getting up off the launch pad and it's rising. It goes faster and faster and faster. All the rockets pointing in one direction and boom, we're off to the races. And that's where the, or, the business goes into the second stage we call fun, right? Very technical term, 
You're going to have to write it down because <laughs> you won't remember, right? Right. But no, it's it's fun because it's fun. It's not early struggle anymore. Yeah. We are stealing victory from the jaws of defeat. We are <laughs> righteously exhausted at the end of every day. And every week we get up and we just do it all over again. And it's just as much energy. It's an enormous amount of energy, but it, it's it's exhilarating because it's working. Mm-hmm. Right? This thing is working. And so uh, we stay focused on, on what we do well. You know, we bring some people, you know, we go from one customer to 10 to 100 to 200, whatever that is. We go from, you know, one employee to 10 to 100. We go and, uh, you know, each metric across the business is going up and to the right. You know, some organizations are hitting 200% growth, 300% growth, 1000% growth. These stunning numbers. Now, it looks really good as a percentage, but if you look at it, they started, you know, market share at the beginning of fun is about 2% of the square root of squat, right? It's, it's, it's <laughs> right. not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and so these are relatively small numbers when you look at the absolute values, but for the folks inside the organization, I mean, you're just taking ground and taking names and it's awesome. <laughs> and then it isn't, right? You know, something happens. So over the course of fun, you know, what's happening behind the scenes that nobody talks about, uh, you don't really even see, uh, especially for quite a while, is as there's more and more and more of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Fun is growth by addition. We say mm-hmm. yes and we make it happen. Well, it starts getting more and more complicated. It's a lot harder to manage 15 people or 150 people than it is one, right? It's just mm-hmm. a lot harder to uh, to work with nine clients at the same time instead of one. Uh, when uh, These numbers are different for every industry, but right. suffice it to say, when the numbers go up, so does the complexity. Mm-hmm. And so the hard charging, you know, take hell with a water pistol, like the, you know, come you know, all hands on deck all the time. You know, it's it's like six-year-olds playing soccer. That, that's basically <laughs> how we lead in, in fun. Uh, you know, it's just a swarm of people running right. all over the place. That, that's that's what it is, and that's what it's supposed to be, and that's why it's fun. But that fun has an expiration date. You know, if we're going to keep growing, what happens is the game around us changes, and that's where we fall into that third stage. And it, it's another one of the not good feeling stages called whitewater. Mm. And whitewater is the problem of second stage growth. So if we take our rocket analogy and extend it kind of one stage further here, Mm -hmm. uh, if you listen to rocket launches really closely, you'll hear them talk about this now. But the place in in the the kind of course of a launch that is the riskiest, right? It's where there's the most pressure, it's the most intense, seems like it should be when it's getting off the launch pad, right? Right. It's using something like 90% of its fuel during that time. But Mm -hmm. in fact, the hardest time is a stage called max Q. Okay. And max Q is just before it breaks free of the atmosphere, but it's hurtling faster and faster and faster. And so the intensity of gravity and air resistance and heat, all of these forces are pushing against you. That's where the rocket is most likely, if it doesn't have integrity, it's where it's most likely to mm. fail. That's whitewater. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's that place where all of our success has created a pressure and an intensity inside our organization, more even so than outside. Right. Because revenue can still be going up. It can look beautiful from the outside. But inside, we feel like we've just totally lost our way. Hmm. And what has to happen, you have to overcome complexity with systems and processes to boil it down. That's fundamentally what it's about. Now, it's not just systems and processes at the front line. You'll have some of those. You have enough to stay out of jail and to make sure you at least do a decent job for your customers. We're talking about systematizing and processing the way you make decisions as a leadership team. Mm, Okay. And when you do that, that's what brings us to the fourth stage, 
predictable success. And predictable success is different from fun in that you're no longer just growing by addition. You can grow by multiplication, right? That, mm-hmm. That's where you may not have thousand percent growth, but you may have a thousand times more growth than you had back in fun, right? Because we're working mm-hmm. with much bigger numbers now. Uh, an example I like to use is, you know, fun is kind of like you've got a field and you're either making the field bigger or you're getting each acre of the field to produce more. Predictable success is about buying as many fields as you can get your hands on and increasing the yield of every field while you do it. Like it's, it's that, right? That's scaling an organization. It's not just fast growth, but it's the ability to really multiply your growth. And you do that through that balance of the system and process and all the ingenuity and creativity that you use to get to where you are today. It's a beautiful thing. But what happens to organizations in predictable success, especially if you've been there for a while, well, what got you out of that last trouble stage? Whitewater. So mm-hmm. as you bump into more challenges, which, you know, it's not challenge free, right. you start to think, well, what's the system? What's the process for dealing with that? And if you're not careful, you go too far and the organization becomes overprocessed. Mm. And when you become overprocessed, you move into the fifth stage that we call treadmill. Right. Okay. So you're just kind of you're doing the thing. You're just kind of spinning, but you're not going anywhere. Right. You mm-hmm. you move from kind of like, you know, growing to like, how can we squeeze the last little bit of market share out? Or, you know, what's the next checklist that we need? It's, and and the organizations at risk for becoming one of those bureaucratic uh, organizations that we set out to beat all those years ago. And if you can catch it, which you can catch it in treadmill, it's a very important stage because you can say, hey, we've gone too far. Mm-hmm. We got to pull back, right? There is a little bit of mess that's necessary at any given point in time. You know, Proverbs says, uh, where there's no cow, the trough is clean, right? But there much, much comes by the work of the ox, right? It's just mm-hmm. leading an organization is inherently messy to some degree. And if we try yep. and eliminate all the mess, we eliminate all the potential as well. True. And that's what's that's what's at risk in treadmill. And if we're not careful, if we don't pull it back, if we don't ease up on some of the system and process, if we don't, you know, start pursuing some new, maybe riskier ideas, then the organization falls into this the penultimate stage, which we call the big rut. Hmm. And the difference between the big rut and treadmill is that you don't recognize something is wrong anymore. Hmm. It feels like we've finally figured it out. You ask a team in the big rut and they're going to say, yeah, we're in predictable success. We finally got rid of all those mess makers, <laughs> right? And we know what we're doing. But you end up with the DMV, right? Is you end up with, uh, you know, some, you know, I've been traveling a lot lately. You know, you have these ma- massive airlines. And I remember there's a scene, I think it's from Meet the Fockers, but <laughs> he's, uh, he's standing at the gate. He's the only one there, right? There's not a soul around. And she's like, you know, rows, you know, one to 10 and he's row 11, you know, and <laughs> And he goes up and, and, you know, she looks at it and she gives it right back to him and she's like, please wait your turn, sir. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of a thing, right? And we have lots of fun with it. But the reality of it is that's the existence for a lot of organizations. And it's just a long, slow slide into irrelevance. Mm. And that slide ends in death rattle. And death rattle mm. is, you know, there's some spark at the end to try and get everything to work again. But ultimately, it's too little, too late, and the organization is done. Mm. And the, the kind of moral of the story is one, you know, we're all going through this process. So at any given point in time, you're not off the map. 
right? You're right. somewhere on the map. And that's, uh, I remember one time I got lost in a mall. You remember malls, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm old enough to know what a mall is. We'll put it that right. way. And so uh, in the malls, you know, for the millennials here, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you'd walk in and there's a map right near the entrance on one of the big pillars that kind of mm-hmm. tells you where you're here. And so I'm a little kid, you know, six, seven years old, and I get lost in a mall. And I still remember the relief that I had when I found one of those maps and I said, you are here. Yeah. That's what it's like when you're in one of those difficult stages to know, hey, it's just difficult because it's difficult, right? It's not because you're necessarily doing something wrong. It's just that's the stage of business that you're in. And you don't have to stay there, right? There's something that you can do to get out. And so uh, when I'm working with clients in any stage, the very first thing that we have to do is say, what stage are you in, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you're in early struggle, like a lot of your folks may be, you're fun. And you hear all this stuff about systems and automation and process and everything. Some of that's great, right? Some of that's really good. But you got to be careful with it because you can just, if you automate something that's not working, (laughs) <laughs> right? Like you, you've just yeah. not got there yet. The systems right. and process and, and automation, all of that, that works when the thing's working, right? Mm-hmm. So those are things that t- typically work much better in late fun, whitewater, you know, predictable success. You've got to be conscious of which strategies you're using and whether or not they're right for your stage. Gotcha. And, th- and that's a good um, obvious point uh, is to know where we're at, right? And I think sometimes, uh, you know, are we ever going to get out of the stage where are we ever going to get to the fun or the whitewater? And with it, I'm curious. So say, you know, maybe we're in fun. Maybe we finally made it to that. Maybe we're in whitewater. So what's a good strategy so we don't get to the death rattle? What's the strategy? How, how do we, can we, can we stay out of the death rattle or is it just inevitable for everyone? That's great. Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. Uh, the way that you stay out of death, uh, death rattle is to pay attention to treadmill. Mm, okay. Because if you wait for the big route, it's too late. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So the best way that you do it is that you implement systems and processes so long as those are bringing balance to the creativity and initiative in the organization. But you keep a very close eye out. And, and this is typically larger organizations. It can happen in smaller ones as well. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. But if you're uh, up over 100, 150 people, mm-hmm. you are on treadmill watch all the time. Right. I was just talking to my dad on the phone the other day, uh, yesterday, and all of a sudden he said, oh, I got a, a um, tornado watch or a tornado warning. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, I've got to get down in the basement, which is not common for the Pennsylvania where he's at. Yeah. But that's basically what it's like. You are constantly under a tornado warning. If you're up gotcha. uh, over 150 people, you're constantly in a tornado warning. Like you've got to pay attention to treadmill because it's so easy to let it slip. Mm-hmm. So that's the best answer for how you stay out of death rattle. Now on the other side, you've got an equal but opposite extreme, which is how do you get out of early struggle and stay out of early struggle? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that is, you know, you do that again. We, I mentioned this at the beginning, but you do it with that ruthless focus on your profitable, sustainable market mm-hmm. an intense, unrelenting focus on selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people, like you said, there's so much like things you should do or, you know, things that they're the shiny object type thing and people want to implement all these things, especially early on, 
because I think that they'll be like that golden ticket to success when, I mean, we need to focus on profit. We just, I mean, I just yeah. interviewed uh, Rocky Lavalny, who's, you know, profit comes first and everything like that. And that like, you've got to have the profit so you can be able to get to the fun and get yep. to that predictable success. And it comes down to, are you selling your thing? Yeah. <laughs> your product, Absolutely. your service. And that should be, the and are focus. you selling enough of it? Yeah. To replace cash before cash runs out. You yeah. know, we, mm-hmm. we, we tend to jump into a new business and like, ah, well, you know, we'll be profitable in three months and it's three years, you know, like <laughs> this is a two to five year process for most yeah. people. If yeah. you're in early struggle, you're listening right now and you're just, it's tough. I feel for you. And you've been there for a couple of years and you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes. The fact that you've been in early struggle for two years is no indication of whether or not you have what it takes, right? Now, there, there you may, you might not, right? And, and if that's the case, you want to get out as soon as you can, but you're going to spend time in early struggle. Everybody does. It's a very rare story, and it's usually a lie if folks say that they went from zero to you know a, a ton. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll say that right off the bat. It's just, right. it's not normal. Most mm-hmm. of us, vast, vast, vast majority of those who make it, yeah. you know, make it by by having the resilience to fight through what is a, a, a almost constant discouragement right there's a lot of bad news <laughs> in early struggle and uh, I, I remember um, Jerry Seinfeld was talking about what it took to become a great a comedian uh-huh. and he said he's just amazed by comedians not because of how funny but they are but because of how long they had to crawl on their face to get to that point right yeah. it's just it, it's just the price that you pay to succeed and it's not fun to be in it that's the fun stage yeah. uh, but just because you're in it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong but so don't beat yourself up on it, but what you can do to increase your chances of success is to just have that hyper-focus on, on selling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, just trying to figure out where I am in my journey, even now it's like, okay, where am I actually at? After you after you went to those life stages, like, I feel like I'm not in the early struggle. Maybe I'm still in the fun, but like, it, it I feel like it's still difficult to, to even see looking at what we've done with elevate, like, where are we at? Um, and, and how do we, you know, make sure we're in the right, right trajectory and, and doing the right thing. So I think it's a, it's a simple model, but you still got to take that step back and kind of really, you know, take, take heed of what's going on. So you don't miss, maybe you are on treadmill, uh, and, and you need to, to re rethink yeah. some things. So, um, yeah. it's definitely an eye opener with that. Um, I mean, so where do we where do we go if we find we're in, you know, maybe whitewater? Where what are some practical things we can do to get going from there? Yeah, it's important to rewind. So if you're in whitewater, you got to remember how did we get here? Yeah, we got here by keeping system and process to a minimum, right? Yep. So we can try a lot of things and execute on a lot of things, and it's all it's all hands on deck all the time, right? When we were leading through what I now know is the fun stage, I didn't know it at the time. Every time we'd hire someone, I'd go in and tell them, I'd say, "Hey, we don't have all our ducks in a row." If you're looking for a place that has all your ducks in a row, go somewhere else because you'll be miserable here. But if you don't mind when you find a stray duck, just kind of putting them where they're supposed to be, you're going to have a blast here, right? So it's just, it, you embrace that inherent messiness and that's just how you succeed, you know? And and that can last up to, you know, anywhere from, you know, 15 employees, you might hit whitewater pretty early, but a lot of times it's around 45 employees that you really hit okay. whitewater for the for the first time in a real sense um not to say that there aren't things to learn from each of the lessons but that's where the complexity really starts to overcome our ability to lead by ourselves 
So that's how you got there. Now, what that means is you are under-processed as an organization. Okay. You've not needed the process, so you got to a point where you're under-processed. Now, there is a visceral fear in leaders who are in whitewater of, of being over-processed, <laughs> right? Like, they they abandoned that ship a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why they started their company. The, those big bureaucratic machines are who they've been beating for the last, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so... We, we create this false choice in Whitewater of can we be an entrepreneurial organization that we've always been or do we have to be this big bureaucratic monolithic mess? Mm. The reality of it is predictable success is the happy middle, right? But it's not a place that's like a balance of the two. It's actually holding on to both worlds intention. Okay. And so the way that you do that, if you're in Whitewaters, you've got to add more system and process. And again, it's primarily to your decision making. So I mentioned at the beginning, we were in Whitewater, we were doing the right things, but we weren't doing them in the right order, right? So uh, just to to talk about that quickly, there's a right order to getting out of Whitewater as stepping stones across the river. You can't just jump to stone (laughs) five, right? Right. Like you're going to get wet. That's that's what's going to happen. So Step one is not what anybody thinks step one is. Uh, okay. And step one is we call it the org chart. Now, it's not mm. just a flow chart with a bunch of names on it. Right? It's, it's not the piece of paper. Who cares yeah. about that? That's a part of the process. It's a tool for clarity. But what we're really talking about with the org chart is building a machine for decision making. Okay. Does everybody in the organization know where they fit in the organization and what their contribution to the organization is? Right. Mm-hmm. So that they can make decisions either as a team or as individuals that contribute to the clarity and success of the organization as a whole. Gotcha. Because remember, before that, it's all hands on deck all the time. We may mm-hmm. have an org chart, but I used to tell folks, hey, your job description, tear it up. Right. It was useful <laughs> for the hiring process. It's irrelevant now. Right. Like, and so you, you probably have those things, but are they real? In fun, they don't need to be real, quite honestly. They're there to create a little bit of clarity and they're there for marketing purposes, right? That, that's about as much as you need job titles uh, in fun. In Whitewater, it's not all about being a company that's all about titles and hierarchy, but it's about using titles to create structure for clarity. So the org chart step number one, you got to okay. get that fixed because folks need to know where they are and what's expected of them. The next step is the leadership team. So as you start defining this, we've got to really dial in on the leadership team as, as a, a, a whole. In fun, leaders are the first followers, right? They're, they're the ones who is, hey, we need to get this done. They're the first one to take the step to get it done, right? Yep. That's your role as a leader in fun. It's whatever the, the CEO decides, be the first one to go after it, right? And you tend to have some people reporting to you, but it's a vertical relationship, right? I, I do right. You know, what I'm supposed to do. That changes fundamentally in Whitewater. We can't go from just we all report to the boss and do whatever he or she says. We've got to start leading laterally. It's the language that we use for you have to start. We call it lateral management, where you start working with other people on the same level of the org chart with you, where we start coming together to make decisions as a team or as smaller teams, as opposed to just running off and doing our own thing in our own silos. Okay. And so lateral management is about developing the leadership skills as a team that we need to drive that machine for decision-making. Gotcha. And I think, yeah, 
And I, I'm sure there is there other steps with this because yes, yeah, so three more. We'll go through them quicker. Okay. Cross functionality, right, is uh -huh. the next step. And and back and fun that happens automatically again because it's all hands on deck all the time. When you yeah. have a bunch of people running around, you actually have to teach them to work from with different departments. Okay. And different people, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so we're actually going through and intentionally building the structures that we did intuitively and fun. Okay. Interesting. My brain and is then the going, yeah, steps, last, yeah. The last two steps, just to round it out, um, is alignment. Okay. We've got to go back through, and everyone has mission vision values these days, mm -hmm. and that's fine. That's the starting point, right? It's never, no longer enough to say, this is where we're going, and then just expect everybody to get there. Yeah, You've actually got to map out. These are mission, vision, and values, but here are the goals, strategies, and tactics that lead to the actions that we need to be taking at, at an individual level. You actually have to map the gap between the two of them. Okay. Right, because you know, between where, the hilltop where you want to go and the hilltop you're on right now is a big fat valley, right? <laughs> and if you just expect everyone to make it across that dark valley on their own, uh, you're going to end up with a hundred people in a hundred places. Yeah. And so by mapping out, okay, we're, we're narrowing it down. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. And that's what keeps everybody throughout the org chart in line and in sync. Okay. And then, and only then, this is the step that everyone tries to skip to, but it's the last step in the process. Then you empower your team, mm, right? Okay. That's when, because once we've created the structure and we've got everyone aligned in the right direction, well, now we can start granting authority, real genuine authority to make real significant decisions and know that with a high degree of success, those decisions are going to take us toward our goals as, as a team. Okay, man. And that's it's yeah, and this is this is really good. Like I'm just trying to break it down in my mind. I was, there's such good, you know, structure and, and and steps with this. So, you know, for a lot of people listening, you know, they're probably in early struggle. And now that I'm listening to you, I wonder if I'm if we're still in early struggle. I don't. <laughs> so, um, because I mean, we have you know a handful of of you know they're contracted employees through uh, with Elevate, and so like I guess what can you can you clarify what define being an early struggle versus fun for those yeah. who might. Yeah. So curious. that one's one of the simpler transition points okay. and that is profitability. Are you regularly profitable? We're looking for a quarter of sustained profitability and we want that to carry on. Now, just because you were profitable one quarter doesn't mean you're going to be profitable for the rest of your existence, right? right? And so what you find is that there's a little bit of one step forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step, mm -hmm. you know, there's, and mm -hmm. you kind of play with that line for a little while. What's happening is early struggle has a gravitational pull. Okay. It's just like our rocket. If we shut the rocket engines off, it, you know, straight back down. Yeah. And so you've got to pay attention to the fact that, uh, that there's just a, a continued pull. So how do we how do we not pay attention to that? Well, mm -hmm. one of the easiest ways we get distracted. Uh, one of the most common things I see, especially like visionary leaders who are like, yeah, they, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, is <laughs> as soon as they get out of early struggle, they get some resource behind them and they start chasing after five new things. Right? It's like yeah. I finally have the time to do these things I've wanted to do for so long. Yep. And boom, they've got five new things. Well, one of them is in fun. Four of them are in early struggle. <laughs> right. And so it's like right, right back down again. Uh, we we hire too many people all at once, right? The more you mm -hmm. hire, the more money you have to make. And so there's yep. a balance between when do we hire and when do we fire. The general rule for that is, you know, you want to hire on a lagging basis, right? You okay. want to follow sales. It's not comfortable, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's the best way of staying out of early struggle in those early days. And 
The the last part about it uh, is not something that we necessarily have a time to, to go into in detail, but we'll point folks to some resources on it. But you've got to work what we call the visionary operator relationship. So there are some people, visionaries, big ideas, you know, let's go. They're starters, they're risk takers. Then you have some folks who are operators who are like, I will walk through walls to get stuff done, right? Mm. Just tell me what to do and don't watch, right? That, that's the type. <laughs> yeah. Now they're not processors. Everything is a system and process. They're not synergists. You know, let's all sing kumbaya. These are, they're both action oriented types, right? So visionaries are highly idea oriented. Let's go start things. Uh, operators are highly action-oriented finishers. So you have mm. start, finish, and and that's that. That's the rocket fuel that gets the the thing off the ground. And so you want to work that combination. If you're feeling the pull back to early struggle, and you've got a team of five to ten people, and you've been out of early struggle for a while, you want to make sure that you've got operators on the team, mm. folks who just they just naturally want to get stuff done. They they're naturally inclined to go out and sell the next thing. They're naturally inclined to knock out you know, five more fulfillment orders than the next person or whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there, you just want, you got to work that combination of visionary and a team of operators. Okay. And that's, that's good. And that clarifies that, which, you know, I, th- I still feel like I'm like in the middle between those two, <laughs> those two stages, but which for me thinking about is like, that's exciting because, you know, I was just talking to my brother today about it was, you know, I feel like I've been doing elevate, for like five, five to 10 years. Like it just feels like it's been that long, but I've only been doing one, my entrepreneur jury for two years, elevate for just one. And to get to where we're at now, I'm, I'm super thankful and grateful and and amazed. Uh, but I'm just excited, you know, what's coming forward with it. Um, and it just, it's, it's looking at it from your stages, this, uh, predictable success model is it's, it's a really interesting and eye opening kind of way to look at it. And, and with what you shared about that, um, you know, like you said, you, you, you help, you know, you work with big corporations, big businesses, helping them with their strategies and everything. What though, on your journey, you know, what did you do maybe, or something that you remember that's really been a crucial step in elevating your brand, elevating what you've done? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, most of my stuff, uh, and, and, you know, going back to the fact, uh, Christian entrepreneur, my faith is a big part of my, my work. And, and I would say that I'm made for whitewater, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm made to help people out of whitewater. And there's actually some data to prove that. But suffice it to say, that's, that, that was the most impactful moment because it touched on my calling as an individual. So fundamentally, I help folks out of whitewater. That's what me and my team of, of coaches and consultants do. And I help other coaches who are getting people out of whitewater. That's, mm-hmm. you know, if you put it in a nutshell, now that everyone knows that language, that's what I do. Uh, I, I'm passionate about helping teams get out of whitewater. And because of that, the, that pivotal moment for me was really when I realized I was in whitewater and when I discovered how to do the right things in the right order coming out mm. of it. That's huge. And I think it it's, yeah, I think we can all kind of learn that as we go, like doing it in the right order, I think will help a lot of people. And, and with that, so, you know, looking back on your journey and this might correlate to what you just said a little bit, even, even so, but um, say you're to, and you probably, you do this, but when you're meeting with an early entrepreneur who's on their journey and you kind of see yourself in them, you know, yeah. and, and you and your journey, what is something you, you wish you had been told early on 
when you're starting out that you can share with with that yeah. individual. So this is this is related. It happened after we were out of early struggle, but okay. it's really helpful advice if you're in early struggle. And it was actually again, it was my dad. He was telling mm-hmm. I was complaining to him one day because it was hard. <laughs> we were, we were yeah. having trouble with something. And I was just kind of waffling on, is this what I want to do? You know, like, is this really worth it? I wasn't really using that language, but he knew that's what I was, I was asking. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, I stopped complaining and he, he said, Hey, you either got to shit or get off the pot. Like you, <laughs> you got to decide that this is what you want to do. Uh, yeah. So I, I love um, Henry uh, Cloud. He says, you are ridiculously in charge, right? You get what you allow mm-hmm. or create. Uh, mm-hmm. You're ridiculously in charge. So when I'm working with folks, it's a tough time. I, I just, it's a tough time. And so the best way to get through that is to choose that you want to be there, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, this is just the part of the process. I choose to be here right now. If you feel like you've got to do it because it's what you have to do or you should do it or, you know, your dad was an entrepreneur, so you're an entrepreneur or whatever, like you thought it was a great idea and you realize that you're not, that's not what you want to do, mm-hmm. either do it or get out of it, right? Yeah. Yep. But you, you've, it's got to be burn the bridges, let's go. Right. Like you can't live, you know, in, in both worlds. You've really got to be all in. Uh, yeah. And when you look at those who make it through early struggle, there's some mechanics to that. But fundamentally, they've just decided this is going to happen, you know, and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's really good. And it kind of resonates with my story and, and we don't have to dive into it. And, and some people might have heard it, but, you know, I quit my job in 2020 right before pandemic picked up here in Indiana. Uh, on a, on a, you know, on faith. Cause I'm the same as you with my faith and stuff and just felt called to do it and had no idea what I was doing or what I would do. And, um, really just put all my trust in that and, and God showed up and I keep telling my wife, I need to write a book, uh, just about how he showed up on the process. Yeah. But yeah, I, and it was, it was the same thing. I, 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 uh, I read the last arrow, um, and it's a book about a, a guy who fought cancer basically and, and all that. And, he tells a story about the general, I think it was a Spartan general. And I can't remember now hundred percent, but, uh, or, or I can't remember. Anyways, they go to this Island and they're outnumbered and he says, um, burn the boats, burn the boats because we're either going to win or we're going to die. Uh, and there's no retreat. And so they burnt the boats and, and they ended up being victorious because they had no other option. They're going to win or die. And that's kind of like how I felt like I'm going to, I'm burning these ships and yeah. we're, we're going to survive uh, or, you know, whatever comes uh, comes. And so uh, I think that's, it's a good point is you've got to make the choice. You can't just be on the sideline. Absolutely. Um, so um, I, I appreciate you, you know, Scott, thank you so much for, for being on here, sharing all this great, valuable direction uh, for individuals who are starting their entrepreneurial journey and uh, just being open to to giving that advice. We appreciate that. Where can people though, you know, connect with you, learn more from you uh, and maybe get your help in the future? Yeah. Uh, so one more reference to my dad, just for, yeah. for good measure. Uh, I'm a junior. So I, I, I can't oh, cool. answer this question and say, just go find Scott Ritzheimer. Because as weird a name <laughs> as that is, I'm not the only one. So uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on all the social media uh, platforms, uh, except for TikTok. But you can find me on all of those. Uh, you can head over to scalearchitects.com. 
mm-hmm. www.scalearchitects.com. Uh, there's uh, just a mountain of resources there. We've got several hundred videos for the DIYer. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of assessments. If you're listening to it saying, hey, what stage am I in? We've got a, a free assessment that you can use to identify what stage you're in. It's right there on the homepage. Um, if you're wondering what your leadership style is, you know, are you a visionary, are you an operator? There's an assessment for that that's free. It's on the on that page. So there's just an enormous amount of resource there. It's the best place to go for all of it. And, you know, there's different folks finding this in different places. So we've structured it. So there's something for everybody there. Uh, it's a terrible marketing strategy, but it's something that we've, we've felt led to do. And it's part of the deal when you're working with all seven stages. But yeah. uh, so scalearchitects.com is absolutely the best place to get started. Uh, get started. There's a way to contact us there as well. Um, anything that you need, you'll find it there. Awesome. Yeah, guys. So check that out. I definitely will be going to take those uh, free resources to figure out leadership style even more and, and you know what stage elevates at because uh, now I'm curious. And so, uh, but again, no, Scott, thank you so much for being on Elevate Your Brand today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thanks. Thank you. And guys, yeah, if you're listening to this live, if you're watching the replay and uh, you got anything from it, make sure you hit the like button down there on YouTube, share it with somebody else that it can impact and make a difference in because we can reach more people together by doing that. And then make sure you go subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so we can uh, continue to get some great uh, guests and information out to you and so you don't miss out. But until next time, go out there and elevate. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well.